You have now arrived at Stadium and Gale. Here we are with another edition of the Gator panel and a great time to get together with uh, all of our normalcy hijacked right now. But Gators Breakdown, Stadium and Gale teaming up once again for Gator panel. And uh, everybody just kind of introduce yourselves here and start with uh, Dan Thompson of the uh, uh, of Stadium and Gale podcast. Yeah, Dave, thanks for putting this together. It's Dan Thompson, Stadium and Gale. We got uh, going around uh, Zach Albaverde. Zach, what's going on, man? What's up, everyone? Zach Albaverde from the Locked on Gators podcast and the tailgate on ESPN Gainesville. And Graham Hall. Hey, Graham Hall here with the Gainesville Sun. Thanks for having me. Always a good time. Bunch of good guys here. I uh, hope everyone's doing well out there. And shout out to Cam, too, for uh, helping us put this together. Cam, what's up, man? Yeah, guys, crazy times we have. Um, what are you guys doing to, to pass the time by? Uh, I played I played teacher a little bit this morning, you know, so I have a, I have a six-year-old daughter who, uh, you know, kindergarten is not uh, in the plans in a physical form anymore. So now we have this virtual learning. So for about two, uh, two and a half hours this morning, uh, play, playing teacher Man, for a little I, bit. I got to say that, you know, like there's two types of quarantine. There's, there's people like me who, you know, we just got to stay inside and, and not go to bars and that's easy, but there's people like, like you and, and a whole bunch of people out there who that means your kids are home and you got to find consistent stuff for them to do. I mean, quarantine yeah. can be tiring right now. I'm, you know, I, 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 I can't imagine. Yeah, we'll, we'll get, we'll, we'll, we'll make the best of it. You know, I, I kind of have to put a, put a good face on for her and <laughs> not to you know, keep all this stuff away from her. But, uh, you know, in, in the work, the, the real work job, uh, every other day, we're in the office one day at home another day. So, uh, vacation time right now, uh, I had already planned, but, uh, you know, we'll get through it. We'll get through it. Uh, what about the rest of you guys? Man, I'll tell you, I'm struggling. I'm on day three of this uh, quarantine, and I don't really know what to do. You know, I, I like to get out. I like to be out, be social. Um, but it's tough. But, you know, I think it's good. I think it's good to unwind, relax, connect with your inner person, figure out what you like, right? Find hobbies, find something to do. Hey, it's a good opportunity to, to figure something out, you know, yeah. whether it's reading or challenging yourself. Just don't sit around and watch TV all day. I mean, you can do it. I'm not that. Who, who am I to tell you what to do, right? It's your quarantine. <laughs> I think we'll find out a lot about ourselves and other people out there. <laughs> so. Man, I can't wait to figure out what I find out about myself because I used to travel for work all the time. And I traveled mainly by myself for about two years. And I thought I knew a lot about myself. I'm three days into this quarantine. I'm like, man. There's a lot, of, a lot of stuff that I didn't know about myself that I'm trying to find out right now. What about you, Zach? No, no. I mean, honestly, man, like I'm, I'm used to being at home with the kids. I think that the thing that's been the most difficult is just like you're limited in what you can go do with them. Like you can go take them to, you know, a creek or a field or lake or something like that. But like you can't go inside. You can't go to a movie. You can't uh, obviously take them to a game or anything like that. So. That's just being – you don't have so many options. Uh, so after a while, just, you you know, you run out of things to do. So – and that's going to be like that for the next month. Yeah, of course. Yeah. With that, we, we all had some time. So it was a perfect time to put the Gator panel together back again. Uh, all the Gator fans out there who, who will listen to all of our podcasts and read all of our articles out there, uh, of course, are, we'll, we'll be craving content uh, for, for right now. So – um, you know, shout out to Uncle Silk too. Can't make it tonight, uh, but he's usually one helping us put all this together uh, as well. So big shout out to him uh, as well. Wish we could have him on here. But 
guys, not only has our uh, normalcy been hijacked, uh, what we cover and all in all these you know, media forms that we do, or is this Gator football team, all the other sports as well. But when we all come together, it's usually for the sport of football. And um, it was announced yesterday, of course, officially no spring football game uh, for uh, the SEC uh, and especially for the Gators, what was scheduled April 18th. A little bit of glimmer of hope. We don't really know anything now as far as, you know, there is no practice, no spring practice until at least April 15th. Uh, but, I mean, for a, a Gators team that had a lot of high expectations or has a high expectation for, from themselves and, and from media around the country, uh, it's gonna, it's, there's going to be some advantages and disadvantages, I think. But, uh, Dan, we'll start with you, man. What was your uh, initial takeaway of really no spring game and probably not looking likely for a spring practice either? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a tough situation. I feel bad for the players, you know, and, you know, we often think of players as robots and, you know, you, you often don't think about, you know, this is their, they have four opportunities, maybe five opportunities at most, unless you're uh, one of the patching kids and then you get seven or eight opportunities, but you know, you only get a few opportunities for spring. Uh, and this is a time where you can really, you know, help develop players, grow players, uh, really finesse your craft. Uh, and I feel bad for those guys because this is an opportunity for them uh, to be around, you know, the players that they love playing the sport that they love. And, you know, a lot of these guys won't make it to the NFL. So, uh, you know, they have a limited opportunity to, to continue to play the game that they love. And it's, it's sad. Uh, it makes complete sense and in total sense. And I 100% agree with uh, the cancellation of, of spring ball, but uh, you know, this is the opportunity where, you know, your youngsters really learn to, to grow into their role. And um, it's sad, but you know, sometimes the greater good, well, always the greater good is going to outweigh, but, um, but it's sad just because, you know, you feel for these guys that, you know, only have a, a few opportunities to play. But you, Graham. Yeah. You know, on top of uh, the competition and, and, um, football being the only thing I think a lot of these guys have really ever known this time of year and being the culmination of everything that they worked for throughout the off season uh, to get to this point, that disappointment on top of it. Um, you know, this was really a, a critical point for Florida on the recruiting trail. I was saying to someone earlier that, you know, thank God for that junior day if you're Florida, mm -hmm. because we really don't know when, teams are going to get a chance and, and with the evaluation period coming up in, in the middle of April here in a month, you know, Florida's already like every other program going to miss out on two huge recruiting weekends on top of that. So, yeah, you know, all of that combined with Dan Mullen's speaking tour uh, being canceled, which, you know, we're, I know we don't think about that too much, but it, it is a great look for the program. Um, someone who is charismatic as Dan Mullen going around and, and, um, talking about that Gator standard, that does help the program um, when it comes to their fundraising efforts. So everyone is feeling it right now all around. There is not one area of the football program that's not, you know, suffering from a development phase right now and future development um, when it comes to getting that, you know, number one class that they're aiming for right now. I think that if you look at it from a positional standpoint, we can talk about a lot of spots where, guys would have definitely benefited from being able to go through spring ball. But I think more for Florida as a program, way that, where they were at going into year three under Dan Mullen, and also where the rest of the SEC is. And, mm -hmm. you know, I guess some other teams are also now at a disadvantage as well. But I think coming off of the offseason that they had with Nick Savage and judging by the results on Twitter, a bunch of guys look like they got jacked up. I think it was just another step for Florida – 
to not only kind of get ready for the 2020 season, but maybe, uh, I think, widen the gap on, on some of the other competition in the SEC and then close the gap even more on schools like Alabama and, and obviously schools like Georgia. So this, you know, I guess halts that a little bit. Again, it, it's, it's across the board, though, for the SEC, so everyone's not practicing. But I feel like of all the teams, Florida's probably set up as well as anybody to really make a move in the SEC this year and be a championship contender, maybe more so than teams that haven't been in seasons before. So all of that, I think, plays into it. Yeah, that was something Silk and I brought up. I brought it up last week on the podcast, and I saw him tweet about it as well. I mean, you look at Florida and, and where they're at and kind of extend off your point, Zach. With uh, you know, the, almost the entire coaching staff returning, except for the, the uh, tight end coach, you know, Brewster coming in uh, there, that's really the only coaching change there. But do you look around the SEC and look at the school out west, FSU, and complete staff change, everything, you know, staff change, culture change, everything going on there. But uh, Georgia having to replace Fromm and uh, a few offensive linemen, DeAndre Swift, still got a, a lot of questions at the wide receiver position, bringing in a new offensive coordinator as well. LSU doing the same thing. Joe Brady goes. Joe Burrow's gone. Lose some key playmakers on offense as well. You know, that's two of the toughest games on Florida schedule next year. Mm-hmm. And FSU, your big rival out west. And, you know, there's a lot of questions. They Those teams really needed a spring. Not saying Florida didn't. I think there, there's varying degrees of – uh, what you know the disadvantage is of missing a spring ball. Absolutely, and we had uh, two of the uh, personnel guys uh, on Stadium and Gale this past Tuesday. Uh, we were talking to them. There is no ability for coaches. That includes training staff, personnel staff. They, they can't talk to these guys at all. So if you're trying to install a new offense, a new defense, uh, you know, you have a, a completely new coaching staff, uh, you know, you are really, really hurt by this. Now, sure, there's an opportunity for you to pick up and learn the playbook, but all of this stuff has to be done on your own. And this is where, you know, it's really important for leaders to step up. Um, you know, but now a lot of these campuses are closing down or, or students are being asked to, to go home. They're not mandated, but a lot of them are. And so this is really an opportunity to see who those guys that are committed to winning and who the guys are that um, are committed to, you know, just playing football. Right. So, um, you know, it'd be really interesting to see what the college football landscape looks like next year, because we don't know when football might be played again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hate to be a doomsday guy, uh, but there could and I don't know what percentage, 30% uh, chance that there is no football next year, period, uh, next season. So, um, you know, this is an opportunity for, for, you know, your leaders to step up, you know, and Florida has those guys, uh, you know, at, at, um, at quarterback, at running back, at wide receiver, at tight end, at offensive line, at defensive line, uh, linebacker, uh, and in the special teams, you have uh, leaders that hopefully you can count on. So I'm not sure that there's an area that Florida doesn't have the leadership to be able to say, hey, you know, this is your playbook. This is a strength and conditioning schedule for you. This is what you need to do to stay on top of your game uh, going into next season. Graham and, and Graham and Zach, I don't know where you had Florida pay going into next year or if you've even made that decision yet, but – if we don't have a spring, and I brought up those examples of those other teams that have with what they're having to deal with, does do you think missing a spring benefits Florida more so than those other teams? Would it would it would it put you solidifying Florida winning the East if that's where you put them, or are they kind of status quo? Uh, does it does it help Florida here? I don't think it helps Florida or any team by any means. I I think that that third year for any program is critical, especially for a team like Florida that 
has, I think, some answers uh, in its ranks, especially at, at wide receiver, especially in the secondary, at running back. And it's an offensive line that, you know, we talked, I think, a whole lot last year about the trial by fire and having to learn on the job that the offensive line was undergoing at Florida. And that was a big jump expected in the spring. And, you know, that, that group needs that healthy competition. This is by my count, you know, what, 15 scholarship offensive linemen and several preferred walk-ons who may end up, you know, guys like Mark Pitts, who were top 100 linemen in the class last year. Um, So I don't think it behooves them to not have that at all. But like I said, we're really in uncharted waters. I could see if this, you know, you know, God forbid if this does, like Dan said, cancel the season, you know, obviously safety first, but I could easily see um, if we are okay by summer, the NCAA allowing teams to hold organized practices behind closed doors. I could easily see that the university of Florida did say that right now, again, uncharted waters, but they do plan right now for summer B to be in person Yesterday, announcements said that summer A through C would be all online, but they said that summer B may be in person. So there is a chance that if everything's going better by summer, Florida reconvenes and, and tries to make up for lost time. But I really can't see it right now. I'm kind of siding with Dan, and I just don't know what will happen. But I don't think anyone right now is, is thinking that it's a good thing, uh, especially someone like uh, Dan Mullen, who knows how critical that year three is for a program. Yeah, but to play uh, Angel's advocate, I mean, I would say the one thing that you have to like, and, mm. and Dave brought it up, was where the staff is at. I mean, the fact that Florida, yes, they have Brewster added, but he's worked with Dan Mullen before. I don't think – I think that's going to be a seamless transition. So I think from a coaching standpoint, and if we go back to Kyle Trask and we go back to the quarterback position, and I've talked about it before, but it's it's the most important position of all in all sports, and I understand that other schools recruit and, and what have you, but – Alabama, LSU, and Georgia all have to replace their starting quarterbacks. And now those guys aren't going to be able to go through spring. And I still like where Florida is positioned heading into the 2020 season, even though they have those questions that Graham mentioned, especially at the offensive line. I I think that this was probably, of all the position groups, probably most hurtful on them because they were going to really have to to kind of try to take that next step so Florida could be better offensively or, or maybe more balanced, should I say, um, and Hevesy talked about that this spring was kind of when those guys really make their case for starting jobs and it carries over into fall camp. So uh, the young guys that, that were trying to uh, get a starting role, that's going to set them back. But Florida's still got so many other pieces that I think you have to like about this team heading into the fall if there will be one. Hi, Dan, you want to steer for a bit? Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. Um Great commentary so far. Um, I guess looking, you know, forward and, and let's play Angels advocate, like you said, Zach, and assume that a football uh, season is going to get played next year and that we can get through this hopefully quickly and, and maybe resume practice in the summertime. Um, a lot of our starters have been kind of pegged. Uh, I think that there's some question at uh, wide receiver, uh, definitely on the offensive line, maybe a couple of the uh, defensive line, uh, linebacker in um, uh, defensive back positions. But what – position battles are you most looking forward to uh going into uh to next season zach yeah i mean obviously mentioning offensive line i think outside of that um florida starting wide receivers i think will pretty much be determined in Kadarius, tony grimes and copeland 
who's going to be the next the, that next line. Obviously, this is the chance for Rick Wells to kind of show what he's capable of. Um, but I think Florida's wide receiver core and how deep they were was a big reason why Florida was so successful. And if they aren't able to be as deep um, and the offensive line doesn't make that jump, they can't run the ball consistently again. And they don't have LaMichael P. Ryan in the backfield. Um, you know, that could be troublesome. So you don't have Justin Shorter is still here. Jordan Pouncey is not going to be able to go through spring. We don't know his eligibility issue. So I'm still, I mean, Dan Mullen is so uh, hyping up those guys that he signed in the previous class, Whittemore and Weston. We'll see what they do. I mean, but they really needed to go through the spring. So I, I, I was looking forward to seeing what they looked like. And then on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, I want to see what Brent Cox Jr. is going to look like. Um, I think replacing Jonathan Grenard is priority number one on the defensive side. And, yes, I understand C.J. Henderson's gone to the NFL. He's going to be a first-round pick. But I don't think they're going to have a problem sliding Kyrie Elam in there and maybe shaking around the secondary so that they get the best DBs out there. But you've got to replace that buck position with someone who's going to be as effective as a, a Ja'Kai Polite and Jonathan Grenard. And, Cox was supposed to be that guy, and yes, he's still, I think everyone has him pegged there, but now he goes, obviously sat out this past season, now he's going to have to go another, you know, several months where he's not on the practice field working with the first team defense on a full-time basis, so that's something that still sets him back um, that he'll have to make up for once, once he can get on the field in fall camp. I want to jump off to Zach's wide receiver comment, and I find it interesting for Florida's receiver. You know, besides Rick Wells, there's basically two tiers. There's guys who have experience and guys who have stats, and then there's guys who have no stats at all. And I, I find that interesting, especially if there's no spring practice and you get the highly rated recruits of uh, Frazier's and Henderson coming in. You know, the, the guys, you know, as we with Whittemore, Weston, and Marks, the chance to, to make a difference this spring uh, and kind of kind of catapult themselves in behind that group that we know is going to be the starters, you know, that they're not going to have as much separation between those highly rated, highly recruited wide receivers. So, you know, the, the I think the tiering of the, uh, of the Gator receivers just in two tiers and that, and that second tier not being able to, to have a spring and, and get the confidence of Billy Gonzalez and Dan Mullen uh, ahead of those true freshmen coming in the fall, I think uh, is a really interesting battle to me when fall camp rolls around is what can Frazier's and Henderson do with the guys who don't have that second spring under their belt now. No, I agree, Dave. Uh, you know, it's it's a really interesting uh, situation. I'm curious to see, you know, what the NCAA does with, you know, potential waiver requests, right? Um, you know, with what that looks like. You know, if you add a, a pouncy and a shorter, and I know that, that pouncy had some some – you know, some some questionable stats at Texas and, and Justin Shorter certainly didn't live up to his potential at Penn State. But, you know, those are two guys that can immediately come in, add leadership uh, to that uh, to that wide receiver room. Uh, but like you said, Zach, there's a lot of freshmen uh, and sophomores that you know, you're really counting on, you know, to, to make a, an impact. Right. And I think the biggest thing that you, you have to look at at Florida for next year at that wide receiver position is, are they going to be as reliable? Right. You're losing Freddie Swain. You're losing Josh Hammond, both guys who – 
you know, practically played with stick on their gloves, right? They weren't dropping anything. Uh, you, had, you, know, you had Tyree Cleveland, who was a guy that you could always count on to make that extra block. This is where I think not having a spring, I mean, and this obviously is going to affect everybody, but this is where not having the, those extra practices where you, you, know, you work on some of the finesse, you work on the blocking, you work on, you know, some, just some other things other than just your, you know, true nature of your position at wide receiver, just catching the ball. Uh, that's where I think that you might see some effects next season. And you might rely on people like a Jordan Pouncey if he can play or a Justin Shorter if he can play a little bit more just because they've had a little bit more experience and guys like Whittemore and Marks and Frazier's and some of these other guys that don't have, you know, as much experience uh, or, or could potentially be, you know, left behind for, for at least the, the start, you know, first half of the season. Yeah, I, I really think, you know, the, the wide receiver drop-off there with that secondary, second tier is going to be key because, again, I, we go back to Weston and Whittemore because I feel like that's the, the two guys that Mullen continuously brings up. I haven't seen him mention Marks as much, um, and maybe Marks might not get the opportunities that I think Weston and Whittemore will on the outside. But look, I mean, I, I love Whittemore, three five two product, and I, I think Weston had a really interesting recruitment and in how he just was like not on social media, never did interviews, nobody knows anything about the kid. But at the end of the day, you're asking those guys who were very, very, very underrated recruits to step into the roles of sure-handed receivers like uh, uh, Hammond and Swain and guys that uh, could do so much like Cleveland. I mean, that's a that's a tough ask for guys who don't even have any experience on the field. So um, I, I don't think that that's just an easy transition. And, um, I, I'm not, and I'm not saying that Mullen is painting it to be, but that's why it was so key for those guys to get on the field this spring. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm going to jump in there real quick. Um, that's another reason spring is so critical. It's because the loss of guys like Hammond and Swain and, and Tyree Cleveland uh, leaves a little bit of a, a leadership void aside from just a rep void. Dan Mullen last season continuously praised uh, the selfless play of Hammond and, and Swain from going out there um, as captains to not really worrying. And then Tyree Cleveland, who always we always saw him, you know, on special teams doing whatever he could. And, and we talked often about him never really kind of living up to his true um, production potential while at Florida. Uh, that's something that Florida really is going to have to establish. That they're going to count on guys like Trey Grimes and Darius Tony to step up. And, and then a lot of unproven sophomores like Zach and you guys mentioned that's a very tall task for a team that, that does have, you know, college football playoffs expectations in a sense. They're really going to expect guys like Kadarius Tony to make that leap because they aren't just coming back to better themselves for the NFL. They came back to make the team better, and that's been uh, dictated to them that they have to do that this season. On defense, is when I had that, that secondary, it was briefly brought up there. The, the two guys I, I think spring was so important for for me is, is Chester Kimbrough and that nickelback spot, trying to figure that out. And if we were going to see Trey Dean at, at safety, and you know this would him moving back there to safety in a permanent role, spring would have been the first time we would have you know seen that. So uh, that's that's there because I, I think we know. Probably the beginning of spring, the, Mullen would go with the three guys who, who were returning uh, there with Steiner, Davis, and um, um, Sean Davis. But you know, I, now uh, we we think 
Trey Dean's going to get moved back to safety. But now not having a spring, does that, you know, does that slow that down a bit? I, I think we know outside's not going to be his best shot. We know Nickelback's not going to be his best shot. So we'll be playing his three, third different position in as many years now uh, there. So I think Dean going back to and, and trying safety would have been you know, something we would have seen and something seen this staff tinker with this spring. Yeah, that's the one spot I think that uh, on the on the defensive side that 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 people want to see have better play. There's no doubt about it. Uh, fans and I, I think even the players themselves want that to to, to be more consistent. You you know you don't um, have Jawan Taylor back there, so that's going to maybe slow down that rotation a little bit. If I think Dean does eventually start there, that might be florida's best bet to get their best defensive backs on the field i'm really excited to see what amari bernie does at the star i think that he is the perfect uh, i think it was a south carolina game where he really got a lot of work there and played really well too so um a guy that was a safety slash linebacker prospect that's got like you know sub four five speed he's just i think has all the boxes that you want to check for a guy to be able to play that star spot so if he can settle in there and be healthy, that's going to allow them with some flexibility with their with their uh, safety position. I, I mean, I don't know how you don't have Marco Wilson and Kyrie Elam as your two starting corners. Um, I mean, I know you, they're going to have a rotation there, but I think that those guys are going to lock down that spot pretty well. I, again, but I go back to the, the, the buck position. I mean, I, I, I'm excited to see Brenton Cox, and I think that it's going to be him, but there are so many guys that they have on their roster that can play the buck position and that have been working there. Um, so it's, I mean, I, I don't think that it's just a foregone conclusion that's going to be him. Jeremiah Moon obviously can play there. You have uh, Mahmoud Diabate. Don't forget about David Reese, who had the season-ending injury before last year. So um, there's a lot of guys that they, that they can uh, fit in there. And then whoever ends up getting that buck spot, well, then now where do you put Moon, where you put Diabate? That's all going to have to shake itself out. And with no spring, that kind of helps Moon a little bit because if he wasn't going to be fully healthy and had maybe had a chance of getting passed over by somebody like Britton Cox. For sure. No, and I think obviously with Moon too, he's the type of player that you can plug in a lot of different spots because he's just that, that freakish-like athlete. But that's going to be their whole MO is trying to get the best 11 on the field and they have such a flexible, unique scheme um, where you know spring allows you the opportunity to to experiment and to you know have different guys in different spots and see who does well and you're not going to have that luxury as much in, in fall camp second straight year that you have to feel a little bit worse for jeremiah moon than i think some of the other guys because last year if you guys remember he missed spring as well and and had a real you know chance to play more minutes last season get more reps than i think that he ended up getting and the talk was what you said, him and Brenton Cox, along with guys like Zach Carter, were going to be some of the guys for Florida to step into the void left by Grenard and, and Jabari Zaniga and to, to have that pull out for Jeremiah Moon. That's, you know, it'll be three years that he, you know, he may not see another spring in Gainesville. So another guy who absolutely is going to have to hope that, uh, you know, the tape doesn't lie, as, as we say. 
Yeah, I mean, you guys make a, a bunch of great points. There. There's, there's a lot of people that this was, you know, their opportunity. And, you know, there was some key positions open at, at linebacker, at the buck position, uh, at safety, at defensive back that, you know, depending on, you know, when the schedule starts, and we're obviously talk, talking about a lot of hypotheticals here, uh, but depending on when the season starts, you're almost going to have to say, you know, similar to the wide receiver position, is the ones that you can already count on. Uh, and even though there might have been some players that really progressed in the offseason, you know, the, this or, you know, even at the, you know, uh, back in the fall, you know, this is really going to be an opportunity where Florida is going to have to look back and say, hey, um, you know, even a guy like Brenton Cox, who probably has all the talent in the world, um, you know, Jeremiah Moon's played a little bit more. Some of these guys know our system yeah. a little bit more. Um, and not saying that Brenton Cox didn't learn, you know, last you know summer and, and fall, but it's almost like you didn't play it at game speed, right? You weren't playing you know, every down, right? So uh, it's going to be a really unique and, and almost precarious situation that Florida finds itself, and all schools are going to find themselves in, you know, trying to make those decisions. And uh, I think I think we're in for probably some pretty sloppy football to start the year. I think two guys that really, um, and, and I'm sure that they don't think about it this way, but I'm allowed to think about it this way for them, <laughs> um, but that are probably – um, or should be counting maybe their lucky stars that uh, spring ball didn't take place is I think definitely Rick Wells and maybe not as much so, but definitely Damian Pierce too. I mean, the fact that Lingard is not going to be able to go through spring ball, um, that is advantage Damian Pierce. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the fact that uh, obviously Whittemore, Weston, Pouncey, all these other guys um, not being able to go through spring ball that's uh, advantage Rick Wells because even though he's not got a lot of playing time throughout the course of his career, he's still so much farther ahead of those guys. So um, that's gonna, I, I think, to um, uh, uh, to Dan's point, make the coaches once they get closer to the season have to factor that in as to you know who they can really count on to put out there on the field. One more because I brought it up on Twitter yesterday and it got a lot of <laughs> a lot of pub. Gene DeLance. I mean, I, I know he got shamed so many times last year, and a lot of people are kind of pointing to these freshman offensive linemen that are coming in, and maybe even redshirt freshman uh, offensive linemen like Michael Tarquin, but uh, you know, Ethan White out there too, uh, who got some starts, and Richard Garage, you know, more of the younger offensive linemen. But you know, a lot of people were kind of pointing to you know Braun and Walker this spring, and maybe kind of supplanting Gene DeLance. A lot of people don't want to see him on the field anymore, but now he's going to have more experience than these guys, especially with, if no spring happens. So Gina Lance, I mean, whether Gator fans want to hear it or not, it may also be another uh, benefactor of having no spring practice. Yeah, you're yeah, exactly that, right. Yeah. Go ahead, for Jack. Sure. No, no, for sure. I mean, that's um, I, I, that was the position I led with, man. I, I really think the offensive line, if we're going to really – talk about what hurts this team the most. I mean, they needed that in the worst way for those freshmen and redshirt freshmen and those guys that are really going to be able to challenge. This was going to be their time to show it. Um, Cause you, yes, the, yes, that happens in fall camp too. Um, but after an off season with Nick Savage and for the guys that were red, redshirted this past year, I mean, this is, this is now the time for them to show what they can do. And even the guys that were early enrollees uh, for 2019. So, um, that's going to give, you know, an upper hand to the guys that have gotten snaps before and, and played reps. Um, I still, where, uh, Richard Garage ends up is, is going to be interesting because mm-hmm. he's still that guy that can play a lot of different spots. 
Well, you said it happens during the season, but I mean, look what happened, and we saw improvement. But you know, Ethan White didn't get on the field hardly until November. You know, and it, it took Chris Bleich leaving the, the the program for him to basically to get to get out there in a starting role. So, yeah, I mean, it just it just seems like the experience is the route that the staff likes to go most of the time. And also, I think uh, Brent Hagee too. Uh, I, I don't foresee him. Mean, he's a redshirt senior, so he's got ex- plenty of experience at center. Um, he was a center prospect coming out of high school, but at the end of the day, he's still taking over for Nick Buchanan and him getting the opportunity to number one, be healthy. And then number two, get all those reps through 15 practices in the spring at center. That's not there now. So that's, that's another thing that kind of sets you back as an offensive line. Yeah, that's good stuff, guys. Uh, what do we think, uh, you know, the last time we did one of these Gator panels, uh, you know, we were able to talk about the uh, the change at the defensive uh, line position with David Turner, and obviously I think that we can uh, all say that that's been a uh, an outstanding success so far. You know, Florida's making a, a change or already made the change at the tight end position, uh, bringing in uh, Tim Brewster. Uh, he's already got his two tight ends for the year. Uh, what do you guys anticipate seeing out of Brewster over the next few years? Man, listen, I covered Dalvin Cook's recruitment very closely. <laughs> very closely. Um, that dude is that dude's a bulldog, man. I don't know what it, I don't know what it is. He's almost like I and I've never met the guy. I've never talked to him. Um, but he just he almost gives off like this like mafia mentality, man. Like he's just like this slick talking, you know what I mean? But it's all real though. Like, you know, obviously I listened to the interview you guys had with him, which was great. And um, you can, it's very clear why he's so good at what he does um, and why guys want to play for him, why schools have hired him and, and why he's developed a reputation that he has. And it's not like he only is a recruiter too. Like he's done it from a coaching standpoint as well. Um, and he's, and, and he's, you know, moved all the way up and been a head coach. So great hire. I mean, and I like, Larry Scott and, and he landed some uh, and won some important recruiting battles for Florida. Did a great job with Kyle Pitts, but I think that we could uh, maybe be looking at this a year from now as an upgrade. He is going to benefit so much from having Kyle Pitts and Keon Zipper to work with to begin with. And, and don't get me wrong, he's already an elite recruiter. He's probably he's pretty much shown that already in just his short stand at Florida. But I think by the time – he'll have Pitts in his arsenal. He'll have Zipper in his arsenal to go out there and share recruits. Hey, look, this is what I could do at tight end. And those are guys he didn't recruit, but he'll get the coach for a year. And you know how recruiting works. You know, coaches or players recruit out there will see, hey, he coached Kyle Pitts. Hey, he coached uh, Keon Zipper, who I'm expecting big things from. So that's why I'm throwing him into this conversation. But, you know, what we already – it's it, you know, I can't rehash. Everybody already knows kind of the basics of Tim Brewster and what he's going to bring to the table. But kind of looking ahead and seeing he'll get to coach Kyle Pitts next season and Keon Zipper in, in years to come, Gage Wilcox has uh, added to, to the tight end position uh, as well. So I think, you know, in the years to come and he gets to show he coaches those type of players already, it's just going to, to me, heighten his recruiting even more. Yeah, I would say that Tim Brewster's – greatest impact at Florida and, and not to say that he can't already, you know, in the future make a huge impact. I would say that it's already been felt right now coming in in the first month and landing two tight ends, uh, two top 15 tight ends in the 2021 class really has freed him up to help everyone else on the trail. And, and as you guys know that I, th- I think that's his greatest um, asset as a recruiter is his ability to recruit at every single position 
and in a full, you know, a whole slew of areas. Florida certainly needs help recruiting at running back this cycle, um, various other positions, not to say that, you know, by getting Dejon Reynolds, that that's a huge one, obviously, but Brewster's impact will be felt if Florida, you know, signs a top three, top two, you know, God forbid the number one class. Um, that's, you know, when Brewster's worth every single dollar. And if he develops Keon Zipper into a, you know, SEC tight end and, and turns Kyle Pitts into a, you know, a, a second day draft pick, absolutely. Um, that's a cherry on top because it's going to lead to recruiting down the line. Um, you know, and, and who's to say that, you know, Brewster may not be at Florida for, mm. for years to come. I know that we already are operating in this mentality that he'll be here for, you know, what is it, two years. But that was someone who, you know, saw himself settling down in Chapel Hill for years. You, you never know. Gainesville is a great place. You guys can all attest to that. Um, you never know what can happen. This may be the start of uh, the end for him in a sense. And, and Florida will absolutely uh, benefit if that's the case. Hey, Dan, you guys got to interview him on, on stage. Yeah. What, what, what was your biggest takeaway from, from it, the, the discussion? With him? Yeah, no, we were, we were very, very fortunate. He's a, uh, an incredible guy. And, and what I'll say is he's just as genuine uh, just talking to him normally as he is when he's given his recruiting pitch. Um, he's just a high energy guy. He's a guy that um, doesn't have a stranger in the room. You know, he's a, he doesn't consider anybody a stranger, probably just a friend he hasn't met yet. Right. So that's just the one thing that I thought about him. Um, you know, I always thought he was kind of goofy on the timeline. Uh, he kind of still is right. Um, <laughs> you know, but I, I think it's truly from the bottom of his heart that He's just so passionate about what he does and so passionate about um, his um, what his job is, right? And what we got out of that interview, and, and frankly, we thought it was going to be like five minutes long because he's like, we're in our hotel room, I'm recruiting all this stuff. We had to chat him for 35 minutes, and, and what we got out of him, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, and, and we've been able to interview a lot of great people and some coaches – is that I truly felt that he coaches football because he wants to help kids, right? He obviously loves the game of football, but he really wants to develop lives. He wants to develop character. He wants to develop people more than anything. Uh, and I think that that's what's, what's great about him because uh, there's a lot of people that do it just for the limelight and for, you know, the notoriety. But the one thing that I saw about him is he's going to be a guy that, you know, truly, you know, cares about, you know, his players. Um, I think he's an unbelievable evaluator of talent. He told a story about how he uh, went to see Antonio Gates when he was a basketball player, when he was a coach for the uh, San Diego Chargers uh, and was able to help develop him and to be one of the best tight ends, you know, of at least our generation, if not of all time. So uh, that's the one thing that I got out of him. And, and I'll be honest with you, you know, uh, we've all been fortunate enough to, to meet a lot of the guys on, on this uh, staff. Um, and I can truly say that there's a lot of coaches on this staff that are doing it for the right reasons. And that's, you know, Tim Brewster's a, a great addition to that. I want to keep it on recruiting for a second. Zach, start with you, man, because uh, you, you, your, your background in recruiting, no spring, no visits, no in-person visits, no traveling. Recruits can't come to campus. How do you see? Uh, how do you see this working out, Dean? I was listening to an interview with Steve Wiltfong from twenty-four-seven, uh, and he mentions like maybe in the fall, when all this kind of gets cleared out, that maybe there's just one extra staff member that can go out um, throughout the fall and go visit in person you know, different prospects around the country. I mean, not only has the you know the gridiron changed, but you know the recruiting world itself has changed, and in, in, you know for April, May, and, and the months coming up. 
Yeah, I think one of the things that all schools uh, is going to be impacted by this is obviously uh, recruiting is not going to stop during this period. And what I mean by that is um, prospects and coaches are not going to quit communicating with each other. And whoever's initiating it, it it's going to happen on a weekly and sometimes if not daily basis. Um, but does Zach Evans like virtual tours? <laughs> exactly. So, well, but, but the thing about it is, though, is so much communication um, typically is usually just, you know, text, DMs, stuff that they, that they send. And, and, and there is FaceTime that happens, but maybe not on a regular basis or maybe not with all the coaches. And I think now moving forward, that's going to be something that's relied on a lot more is coaches getting on FaceTime and trying to have face-to-face interactions even more often with guys and – I mean, to be honest, I mean, I don't think every coach is maybe comfortable doing that um, or, or maybe feels like they can do that all the time and, and, and have that type of relationship. So for Florida, I, I think that they, based on where they were coming uh, out of junior day with the top class in the SEC, one of the best in the country, the fact that they had this great event that now no other schools are able to try and follow up with, um, I think Florida's set up for success. I mean, the, they're going to they, – that junior day visit now leaves a lasting impression uh, in the minds of all those guys. And now it's just on Florida to, 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 to stay hot, um, to keep that communicate those lines of communication open, get on FaceTime, make sure that they're always um, talking to these guys. But I, I think that Florida has the coaches and recruiting staffers um, to be successful at that. And, and again, I, I want to point out, I don't think that everybody does. I think that if um, – Jim McElwain's staff was in this situation and you had to rely on Jim McElwain and his assistant coaches to be getting on FaceTime every week to, you know, keep Florida afloat on the recruiting trail compared to all the other coaches in the SEC that were going to be doing the same thing. I don't know how you feel about Florida's chances with that. I do think that Dan Mullen and most of his coaches are probably pretty good on FaceTime. You know what I mean? And I, I think that when you're one of the better teams in the SEC and you already have momentum on the recruiting trail, um, you'll be able to withstand some of this until this recruiting suspension gets lifted. Michael Wayne's staff would have been jumping in a pool after junior day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I just, I mean, I, I mean, and Coach Mack was always good to me, but I just, I, I can't imagine him being on FaceTime with high school recruits um, as, as the, as the big sales pitch that, I mean, you know what I mean? That was just not yeah. his demo. That's not, that's not Florida was, what Florida was using as the bread and butter to try and sell kids on uf is let's get on facetime with coach mac however i think that you can get on facetime with um dan moan or get on facetime with uh, uh, christian robinson get on facetime with tim brewster well, well who was it who was it mullen was facetiming with at the peach bowl on the field uh I, i'm uh, not sure but, yeah but, but, i mean i remember that story there was a recruit out mm-hmm. there and, you know he facetimed him while he was on the field at the peach bowl basically you know selling florida in, in that event and listen i mean i, I can't undersell it. there are plenty of head coaches and assistant coaches that are not comfortable doing this i'm telling Mm -hmm. you um so if you have enough coaches that are and you and you have a great product to sell you know what i mean and the results are good and uh, it's just you know again i I think florida is is in a better position to go through this than most programs yeah no i'd agree 100 i mean there's very few people on this staff that um I don't trust a hundred percent, you know, with recruiting. Um, 
you know, even guys like David Turner, right? You know, his name hasn't been mentioned yet. Uh, you know, John Hevesy, he's got I, yeah, his I relationships. Think, I even think John Hevesy would be good on FaceTime. Like, I've Absolutely. Been around, yeah, High I've energy. Been around, yeah, I've been around him at media when, like, he's goofing off, like, off camera. I think I think he totally will handle, like, FaceTime and stuff well. So, I don't know, man. I, I just think there's a lot of personalities on this staff. Yeah, well, going, going back to your FaceTime, hold on, and going back to your FaceTime thing, I was just looking, I just Googled it for the heck of it. And uh, Will Salmon's article uh, from The Athletic, that he was spending time with the staff on signing day. Um, and just quickly before I even pull up the article, it says, Mullen just had ended a FaceTime call with four-star defensive end Princely Human Milan. So there you go. I mean, yeah. an- another example for a player that they pulled in on signing day. Yeah, and I'll give them. I'll give the back office credit too. You know, we've been going through kind of a series over there on Stadium and Gale, trying to get really any uh, of these guys uh, on staff. But uh, you know, between Lee Davis, um, Charlie Skalinski, uh, Kirby O'Meara, uh, Kiwan Ratliff, you know, th- they've got an operation that's running better than than Florida's recruiting department has ever run. And then some of that is due to you know the sheer size of it and the amount uh, of people and touches that you can have because you have more you know bodies that are helping. You know, but they they seem between their creative design, between the way that they organize how they're reaching out to players and pro- or to, to prospects, the way that they're working with, and then they have a staff member for every single coaching staff, or uh, um, a recruiting person for every single coaching staff member. There's all of the workings in place for Florida to now be able to really compete at that elite level. And you've got proven results, you've got good personalities, and then you've got Florida who's on the uprise, especially in an area uh, you know, the Southeast where there's not a ton of competition. I mean, you have, um, you know, both FSU and Miami down. Yes, Georgia's doing well, uh, but they've had, you know, quite a bit of staff turnover. Alabama's had some staff turnover. Uh, they're going to recruit well, and so is Clemson. But, you know, Florida is now starting to to creep up right behind Alabama, Florida, or Alabama, Clemson, uh, and Georgia. And so, you know, you start to win these battles and, and you know, utilize the personalities that are on this on this coaching staff. I like I like Florida's chances, and you know, with that junior day being such a big, big, big uh, deal with uh, the the number sheer number of talent uh, talented players that they had, uh, the exciting basketball game, even though it didn't turn out the way that that everybody wanted. Um, but for all of that to happen before most of these guys could take another junior day visit, and probably won't be able to take one until their senior year, um, you know, I, I, I like to think that that Florida's sitting in a pretty good chance there, or a pretty good shot. And Grant, Graham, to introduce you here on this topic. I'm going to give Dan Mullen and the staff so much credit because of the upgrades of the coaches that are no longer with the program after Dan Mullen's first year. He upgraded Victorian Gray, David Turner. The, as Dan said, the behind-the-scenes staff had been retooled ever since Dan Mullen's first staff uh, that was hired. I mean, every move Dan Mullen has made on the coaching change circuit the last you know couple of years have been upgrades. Yeah, it's something that Nick Saban has done extremely well. I mean, even this last year, you saw that Nick Saban was kind of coming out and even kind of complaining a little bit about teams poaching his assistant coaches for head coaching gigs. But that's what you want. You want to hire guys who are going to get you know, promoted elsewhere, that are going to make it into the NFL, that are going to get NFL interest, that are going to get head coaching gigs interest, whether it's Howard, whether it's Colorado, wherever it is that's who you want to hire. You know, I said to people a lot that it was kind of, you know, one of the early tells about the Jim McElwain era that really, you know, aside from that Torian Gray 
hire. Um, it really wasn't a staff that was that desirable in the SEC. Uh, you know, the only um, change that he made was Kurt Callahan, um, and and that really wasn't totally for coaching purposes. <laughs> uh, you know, as you guys know, um, that really should have been a, a teller right there. You know, Dan Mullen wants guys on his staff to be poached, and one of the ways that you can tell you have the head guy in charge is when they go out there and do what you guys are saying. If they go out there and they upgrade and they get a guy like David Turner or they get a guy like Tim Brewster. Um, and that needs to obviously continue for Florida. You know, we, we had a huge talking point, I think even six weeks ago, thinking that uh, Todd Grantham would get NFL interest again. And he ended up not getting any NFL interest or any that was at least um, made public. Uh, so having him come back, you know, that was a huge bonus that I think if you had caught all of us three, four months ago, a lot of us had kind of been talking about this staff having to replace him and mm-hmm. the, the prospect of Christian Robinson getting poached by some NFL program being made a defensive coordinator elsewhere, or if Grantham left him taking Robinson with him, the fact that this staff, you know, has retained those guys and then upgraded at other positions. Uh, has put pressure on the other assistants, especially on the recruiting trail and and in-house, certainly. Um, But it has made Florida, I think, a desirable place um, when your coaches do become head coaches, because that's every coach's dream, to become the head coach at some level. And if Florida continually does that, hires guys and set them them up for that, um, they'll keep getting top-notch talent and be a desirable place like Alabama has been. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's one of the things that you you have to really applaud Dan Mullen. And, you know, when Dan Mullen was hired, and I think we did our first Gator panel not long after uh, he was hired before his first season. And, you know, one of the things that we talked about is that Dan Mullen isn't always going to go after maybe the sexiest hires, but he's going to go after guys that he's comfortable with. He's going to go after guys that he's comfortable with his system. Um, But he's ultimately going to probably have very little staff turnover. And when you consider, you know, in the – you know, going into the third year, you know, Florida has not only had very little turnover, they've been able to upgrade all across the board. And that's a testament to Dan Mullen uh, and his ability to not only recruit staff and retain staff, uh, but to bring on guys that are going to elevate. Um, and I and I don't think, and I, Graham and Zach, you mentioned it too, there's no position that I don't think Florida upgraded on when they brought in a new coach. Uh, I'm almost wondering you know, between David Turner, Torian Gray, and Tim Brewster, which one was the best hire for Florida? Uh, they kind of all bring something different to the table, um, you know, overall. But, you know, that's a testament to Dan Mullen, and that's something that, you know, we're going to continue to see is that, you know, Dan Mullen is going to probably go after your guys that are comfortable with his system, but also comfortable in the roles that they're in. And, yes, there's going to be guys that want to move into coordinator and head coach positions, but there's also going to be a lot of guys that are going to be here for, you know, probably, you know, four or five, six years. Uh, and I almost see this maybe being similar to like a Clemson uh, situation where uh, they have, you know, little staff turnover, uh, you know, that continuity certainly helps. It helps build relationships in recruiting and helps build, um, you know, camaraderie on the field and it helps build uh, chemistry with the, the offensive staff and the defensive staff. So uh, that's one of the things that I'll, I'll give, you know, this staff credit for is they, they all seem to be in each other's corners. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of infighting and disagreement, uh, but they all seem to be, you know, jiving well uh, together and, and ultimately, you know, breeding a, a very strong uh, staff right now. 
Dan, just to just to have fun with it, man. I'm, I'm kind of just going off the the what you proposed there. Maybe the better hire. I'm only going to say David Turner because I think in the SEC you have got to be built in the trenches, especially on the defensive side of the ball in, in, in this conference. And with the you know the haul he had last cycle, and then Tyreek Tyreek Sapp, uh, you know, kind of you know borderline five star player uh, coming into this class. I mean, I don't think it can be overstated being so good on the defensive line in the SEC. And look, and Brewster's only been here for a month. So, you know, that it's not really a fair comparison right now. But, you know, just to have fun with it when, when you're bringing it up there, what David Turner's been able to do, and, you know, of course these guys have to go out there and perform. But, you know, based off just recruiting results right now, I think you have to be excited at least for the trenches on the defensive side of the ball for the Gators. No, mm-hmm. I know. I, I agree with you, man. I think that mm. if you're talking about the importance of the position and how tough it is to find um, really talented position coaches at those specific three spots that we're talking about, um, I don't want to say cornerback coaches are a dime a dozen, but there's a lot of really good ones out there. And Torian Gray's one of the mm-hmm. best. Um, but – and then obviously you look at Tim Brewster, um, real talented, but there's a lot of great tight end coaches around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to find a really good, productive defensive line coach that can also recruit is, is not easy to find. Um, interesting, too, if you look at it from this standpoint, I think a lot of fans and maybe a lot of other media folks would probably uh, go with Turner, too, uh, just based on where things are at right now. But what's funny is is that if you would have asked everyone this at the time of the hire, mm-hmm. I don't think anybody would have went with Turner. I think yeah, you know, I was just, be, I was just because, about to say, Zach. Remember, he came from UTSA, and everybody's like, who is this guy? Yeah, because, um, like, you know, they brought up some examples of some guys that he put in the league. It's like, yeah, but was he really responsible for those guys, and why is he at University of well, Texas San Antonio? And not only that, but then you think about the other hires. Like, you know, uh, he replaced a War- uh, Charlton Warren with Torian Gray, which as soon as that happened, everyone loved that hire. You got Torian right. Gray. And then you replaced Larry Scott with Tim Brewster. Well, everyone knows Tim Brewster. Everyone like you. So, I mean, David Turner was like the outlier. Yet he, he, replaced, he replaced Sal Seri, right? Yeah, yeah. Who, everyone, who, 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 by the way, everyone loves Sal Seri. Yeah. And, um, by the way, where did Sal Seri go? He went to Alabama. So, it's just like when, when you consider all that, um, it's, it's pretty impressive. I think that we would uh, – I think many of us would probably go with Turner. Graham, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I think that obviously um, the impact of David Turner, a guy kind of like Tim Brewster, who um, he made his impact known early, I think, in the cycle on the recruiting trail and can turn, I think, most of his attention to developing some of these guys um, that that we haven't mentioned. You you know, we've gone this whole time and haven't mentioned guys like Chris Vogel, uh, Lloyd Summerall, those are guys who I, I, I expect to be kind of like the Zach Carters of last year, um, you know, to make a leap in, on the field this season. Uh, and then, you know, go, circling back to the whole um, coaching discussion, if Florida is going to be, you know, we're, we're what, 18 months away from sitting here and talking about the facility, the standalone facility opening um, and, and what that could do for Florida's recruiting prospects. I think you are going to have, I think, a lot more what, – what the baseball stadium will do for baseball is signability. You'll have the staff retention and um, getting kids to want to stay maybe until they're seniors uh, in this program a whole lot more. If Florida can become, in, in that 18-month span, 
um, catch up to the, you know Alabama and Georgia on the recruiting trail and then get the standalone facility, I, I think that we're going to be having a much different conversation here in 18 months. Um, just like what you guys are saying about David Turner, about you know how a year from now, a year ago, things were so much different. Uh, you know, time is really crazy in, in the SEC. You better recruit every single day. You better put money into your facilities every single day. And, and when there's this stop going on right now, when we don't really know when we're going to resume, when, you know, theoretically they could go knock down the baseball stadium right now and start developing, mm-hmm. you know, if they could do that, that facility and then make that, you know, catch up a little bit quicker to Alabama and Georgia, they could do that. You know, we just don't know. Um, we're sitting here talking a whole lot about theoreticals and, and um, I know that a whole lot of fans out there want that to happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. No, you make a great point there, Graham. Uh, I guess we're going to leave. Uh, I have t- two final questions. Um, one is, and we'll start with you, Dave. How do you think, what are, what are some hypothetical ways that you think uh, the NCAA might come up with ways to uh, change the recruiting calendar, change the football calendar? And let's just assume that, uh, you know, the coronavirus uh, outbreak has, uh, you know, slowed and, and tapered off by the middle of May. Uh, what are some things that if you were in charge of the NCAA or the SEC, you would do uh, in regard to the recruiting calendar and then the football calendar? Uh, recruiting calendar, I guess, would, would of course would start sooner. So I guess as soon as it's safe to, you know, for everybody to feel safe to travel, I guess you can still travel airplane right now if you really wanted to. Uh, but mm-hmm. as soon as everybody felt safe uh, of doing it, because everybody, you know, bringing up the Zach Evans recruitment and say, okay, he could visit this weekend if there was still available, you know, if the if the NCAA and the SEC still allowed visits to campus uh, this coming up weekend. Would he still feel safe? Would his family still feel safe traveling? I don't think so. So I don't think the visit probably would have happened anyway if the SEC didn't come in and say no in-person visits uh, on campus. So uh, I think you know we have to get past that to where I think everybody feels safe. uh, You know, as everybody as soon as everybody feels safe to start traveling, you know, I I think the recruiting calendar you know starts then. So first week of June, maybe uh, to, to be on the safe side of everything. Uh, and then a month later, I think, you know, for fall camp and how everything goes around there, I think you have to you have to basically start first week of July uh, just to um, make up for the spring that you missed. And I, more than likely, I don't think the NCAA would grant a whole month, basically, like you get for spring. So mm-hmm. I think the ideal scenario would probably be like a mid-July uh, timeline for, for when it to start. I don't think they'd give a full month uh, to make up for a full spring because some, I mean, some team Vanderbilt, South Carolina, and the SEC had already started spring practice. Uh, so, how does does that weigh into any decision that the NCAA SEC uh, make? As far as some schools had already got a spring practice, they went on spring break and, and didn't get to resume. Um, does do they consider any kind of competitive advantage for the teams that had already started spring practice? I think that's something to kind of really look out for uh, as well. But I'd look for a, a an early to mid July starting time to give teams an opportunity to make up for spring. I don't know what that does for teams. I don't know if how much of an advantage that it's definitely an advantage. I just don't know if it's as big as an advantage you would have got from a full month in spring and then having time to assess all that in the off season from what the the guys did in the four weeks that they would have got uh, in in March to April. So, uh, but that's the way I see it. I think recruiting starts back in earnest full bore, maybe before June, but I think 
full time the way we know recruiting now if everything goes well beginning of june and spread and then uh start fall camp a little earlier to make up for spring and early to mid july yeah i'm just gonna hop in here real quick i don't think that you know the ncaa we've become so accustomed to them dragging their feet when it comes to critical decisions like this i mean we were sitting here last year talking about how long the waiver process took and how there was no transparency and how some guys would get approved and, you know, everything that goes on with that to think that the NCAA is going to be capable of making huge decisions about scholarships for thousands of athletes from, you know, 40 plus varsity sports. I mean, there's only 19 varsity sports at the university of Florida, but some places like Ohio state have what double that amount when you count in all the pistol shooting and synchronized swimming that they care about up there. I mean, if you're gonna really going to go back there and give scholarships back and everyone, it's going to be a nightmare. You've already seen the reports of it coming out. I think if anything happens, um, you know, one, you made a great point there about, about Vanderbilt, Dave, you know, if, if any team loses to Vanderbilt this year and uh, they better be ready to blame the fact that the, the Commodores got a few extra spring <laughs> practices, um, that better be right there in their excuses chamber. Um, but I think if anything is likely, I think we see a change in recruiting. I think that, we are, ha- you know, we're so accustomed um, to having just one signing day anyway. I think if anything, the NCA will go back and say that clean slate for everyone. If you took an official visit off the table, everyone has five official visits, and there's only going to be this February signing period, so that everyone has a chance to kind of catch back up. Because they could also see if that does, you know, I- I'm with you, Dave. That I hope that it's June, um, you know, July 1st. The SEC, Greg Sankey today came out and said that. They fully expect everything to be back on track and that SEC media days for July is going to be on track. They don't anticipate any you know, delays right now, but um, if the season does get pushed or anything like that happens or fall camp gets pushed back or anything happens, I think it would benefit everyone to have just that later signing period. Coaches have said that in the past it's much easier to navigate. It does put a whole lot of pressure, like we all know, on just one day. But I think it is a change that the NCA would be prepared to make because everything else uh, sounds a little bit too drastic and outside of their realm of handling. I wish I had more faith in them to do what's right and stand by the athletes and, you know, give them the extra scholarship because as everyone out there knows, you only get one shot at this. You only get one mm-hmm. time in college. Why not give them an extra year uh, to realize those dreams? Because we say we see redshirt seniors every single year change their pro stock or go get that master's degree that they've coveted. Um, so I would love to see that happen. I just, I'm not as optimistic because the NCAA has let us down so many times. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Uh, before Zach jumps in, I'm going to be selfish and the Gator fan enemy is going to come out, but Florida already having 14 commits. I'm all for an early signing day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Zach, yeah. What are your thoughts? I, I, I do think that you could see the recruiting calendar get adjusted. Um, but as far as, if they would be able to sneak in some type of spring slash summer ball, I mean, it's kind of what it would be. Um, I think the biggest thing that it would have to be considered is, is how that works in terms of their bodies recovering um, Mm -hmm. between whenever that date would be in fall camp. Uh, Do you then have a a shorter fall camp or or a, a date that gets pushed back because of that? And, if they do have some type of spring workouts, um, is it e- even if it's something like only like a week and they have a, 
just a, a, a really minor scrimmage, obviously nothing for fans. Is that still something that they can make happen? Um, I mean, that remains to be seen. I definitely think it would be beneficial um, as long as it doesn't, you know, put any players at risk and they get the necessary time that they need to recover. But, man, I'm at this point, man, I'm just hoping we get football this fall. Like, I don't – I don't – like, whatever happens with recruiting and, like, whatever dates get worked out, like, man, just please let football happen because the thought of that – being affected and this thing dragging out all the way to that is just uh, I can't even imagine. Yeah, no, I agree, Zach. Um, we're gonna we're gonna play Angels Advocate, like you said, um, and, and we're gonna assume and hope for the best. Um, there's a lot of things that you guys talked about, and so I might go on a, a little bit of a diatribe here, but um, hopefully I get the question answered quickly. Uh, so a couple things that I would do, assuming that uh, Dave, your calendar said that we're good by you know early June to start traveling again, um, is I would set up you know, probably two to three junior days that can happen during the summer. I know that they usually use those times for camp and travel and everything else, but, you know, I think it's only fair for these guys uh, to be able to get the opportunity because this is, you know, this is a, a chance for, you know, when we had Charlie Skalinski on, uh, who's the director of U.S. Player Personnel, he said that, you know, before UF will accept your commitment, for the most part, I'm sure there's some, some players that's a little bit different for, uh, you have to perform at camp. Right. So whether that's a Friday night lights, whether that's uh, which is, you know, up in the air now, whether that's a, a spring camp or, a, you know, whatever that might be, you know, you need to get those guys on campus. You need to be able to evaluate them. It's tough to evaluate just simply on on tape alone. So I would definitely add, you know, some additional days. Um, one of the things that I would make as kind of a one-time uh, chance is, is I would up official visits um, and allow these kids to take more than five official visits. I don't know what that number is, maybe seven or eight, and I know that that's a cost back to universities, but uh, you know that's a, an opportunity for these kids where they would normally spend some time during the summer traveling to you know a bunch of different campuses that may not have that opportunity, or you know during the spring I may not have that opportunity to to let these kids be able to to get out and, and visit some other places. Um, I would also cancel early signing day, and I know that Dave, you you just mentioned it for us, you know, pretty well. But you know, I, I almost don't think it's fair for these kids that you know, if they really didn't have the, the whole opportunity to be able to to scour the country and, and find the best place for them, because you know, Zach, you mentioned it. You know, as well, this is a lifelong decision. Uh, you know, this is a commitment that most of them, or some of them at least, will you know live with for you know three, four, five years. And so, uh, you want to make sure that they're making the right decision. And as selfish as it is, because Florida sits in you know the number one, number two, number three recruiting class in the country right now, you want to make sure that you give these kids uh, you know the opportunity. But there's two things that I wanted to talk about that uh, you guys all brought up. And number one is uh, the cost, right? And that's one thing that. Um, Graham, you mentioned that you don't trust the NCAA, um, you know, and I would love the NCAA to give these kids an extra year. I'd love the, to give the an extra year to everybody, not just the ones that are seniors or the ones that are missing out, uh, but everybody. But that leads to two big things that I just thought about. So number one is the cost, right? University of Florida doesn't have much of an issue when it comes to dollars. You know, a lot of your big state and a lot of your big, you know, programs that Florida's competing with the SEC, et cetera, they're not as worried about cost. I think they gave out $45 million just from the SEC network alone. I'm worried about your smaller schools. I'm worried about your private schools that are already operating on shoestring budgets, the schools that are already, you know, taking these these games that, you know, they're going to get wallops just so they can make a million dollars or so they can make $750,000. What do those schools do if they now have to carry 
100 scholarships instead of 85 for football or if they have to carry an additional 200 scholarships because we're going to allow spring scholarships to roll over right so there's definitely an externality there that i wonder how the ncaa is going to help mitigate you know for some of these schools that may not afford it and then another issue that i just thought about that just passed the florida senate and i'm not sure what's going to happen with this coronavirus thing if it still passes etc but you have a likeliness issue that's now coming up in two years where where players are going to now be allowed to be compensated on their name and likeliness or name and um, and face right so uh, you know that's something that a kid that is a sophomore now may have graduated by the time that that goes into effect may now have an extra year that schools are now having to have to figure out how are they going to now be able to compensate these kids so there's a lot of other things that go into this other than just you know the fairness of hey we need to give these kids an extra shot so I'm curious to see and I have zero faith uh, like you Graham in the NCAA to figure it out in an effective manner Uh, uh, but there's a lot of externalities that come from this situation beyond just, you know, what do we do with the recruiting calendar? Yeah, the scary thing, Zach brought it up. And uh, Silk, you know, we were, while we were talking about notes earlier, uh, sent, sent this. I mean, it, the possibility of, of having no games uh, at all this fall. That That's the, a scary proposition <laughs> for us who uh, love Gator football, love talking Gator football, love putting stuff out there for, for listeners and followers out there uh, of Gator football. I mean – there, I mean, there, there is a legit chance uh, that we, we do not get a football season this fall. Yeah, I don't Dave, want to talk about that. I'm not ready to accept <laughs> that. My world is that we, as a country and as a world, will figure it out. Hopefully, close Clearwater Beach, close South Beach. <laughs> yeah. Let's get these kids inside, watch some TV. I mean, listen. It was funny. I, was funny. I, saw I definitely think that everybody – how they want to spend time inside and cuddle up, sleep, and watch Netflix. This is your perfect opportunity. What are we doing? Exactly. You know, we're out getting crazy on the beaches. Come on. If you want football in the fall, stay inside. Yeah, Patrick Simpson said it best. You know, if you told everybody in the South that if you stayed inside for the next seven or 14 days, whatever <laughs> it was, you'd have football in the fall, everything would be shut down for 14 days. Exactly. Ah, well, I mean – yeah, our, our normalcy has changed uh, for, for the time being. But, uh, guys, uh, I know uh, we, we're getting this thing together. Um, for, for everybody out there, you know, there's not uh, – whether you're holed up in your house or, or you know, you're not you're, – you're away from work or all that, uh, of course, we'll, we'll put out a Gator panel for you uh, to listen to. So, guys, uh, everybody, it was kind of short notice we threw this together just because uh, we knew we, we knew Gator fans uh, needed, 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 needed something out there uh, to, to get them by this time of, uh, of year, trying to get their mind off of everything else. I know a lot of the topics here dealt around this coronavirus, but, uh, you know, you maybe – for an hour, a little over an hour here, you know, gave you some some type of escape there. Yeah, no doubt. I'm glad, definitely, that we did this, and it's it's. I think it's been boring for everyone. So uh, the fact that we could get together and just talk about this stuff and give fans something to listen to and look forward to, um, it's awesome. And and you know, hey, we're all in this together. We all want to see this thing get over with, and everybody just got to uh, wash their hands and stay away from each other. Yeah, I want to see you guys in Atlanta in July and and, and in the swamp the, f- the first game of the season. <laughs> oh yeah, likewise. And it, it, if it seems like we talked about a whole lot of just bad stuff, I mean, I think we talked about every thing bad that you possibly could talk about for a program that has signed the number eight recruiting class and just finished number six in the country and returns, 
you know, their starting quarterback. I think we hit on every single negative. So in terms of, you know, my media checklist, I think that I did a pretty good job making sure that I hyped up all the negatives today. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anything else, uh, Dan, Zach, Graham? No, it's always a good time to be on. Thanks for having me, guys. The great stuff. Yeah, I miss football. Bring it back. Yeah, I was supposed to see Dan Mullen last night in Jacksonville. So, you know, this uh, it ruined all that. Well, gentlemen, we'll have to do this again soon. It's always good to chat with you guys. For everybody, it's Gale, Gators Breakdown, Locked On, Gators, and Gainesville Sun. We appreciate it. Man, 
man, I swear to God, I was 12 years old, my mama didn't know, and stunned, there ain't nobody till the day I got shot, they found some money in my pocket, yeah, I know a nigga named Big Rufus that'll break you out, them niggas running up the terminal, we taking out, they say that money turn a model bitch into a dog, and I got a couple evil pickles in my bag, y'all, nigga, I mega hard, bitch, I'm a bad boy, fuck the security guard, I turn them into track stars, you know my name, baby, that's Weezy fucking baby, and if that nigga hating on you, then fuck him, baby, I tell him fucking girl, 18 inch windows in my crib, you see the whole world, bitch, what you tryna do, I haven't spent the check yet off the powder too, I am that fucking dude, now who the fuck are you? 